and a one and a two and a everybody and welcome to a very special episode of Pottywood the podcast where we talk about movies with the people that make movies i'm one of your hosts the ever amazing steve hester and with me as always is you know you sound like you're getting ready to read 50 shades of gray on air yeah i probably am by the way uh i'm andrew roger carson but you know that writer <laughs> director person who occupies this show and that chair. And this chair. Yes, which is making lots of creaky noises today. Well, you've got to kind of decide, is it the chair or is it my stomach? Writers, write in. Give us your thoughts. Or don't, you know, just don't touch that really because there's some things that I just don't want to know. Is the chair in my stomach? We just don't know. Are you suffering from the anal dentures from last week? Oh, well, we agreed that we would no longer refer to anal or vaginal dentures anymore. After our teeth episode. My one question is, one, I know that Neil did watch it and he had kind of similar thoughts to you. I'm more interested to know if David Zucker himself went and sourced out this movie. Oh, now that would be good if you missed our episode last week and indeed probably our review of Teeth last week. We had uh, the one, the only David Zucker with us. So, yeah, was he a fan of it? Did he watch it? Don't know. I don't know. I will look to see if I'm still friends with him on Facebook. But this week... We're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, originally, we were going to have Jay Oliva, animation super guard, here in the uh, <laughs> Pottywood Studios, I guess you could call them, with us. Uh, this week is the release of his first anime from his new studios, Trez, the first Filipino anime to occupy Netflix. So naturally, he is on the whole press junket tour this week. Uh, we were trying to get him in around this time today. Uh, I've basically said to him, okay, let's aim for Friday when things have died down a bit more and the show's mm-hmm. out, and let's talk then. So it gave us a chance to have a little fun this week, a little bit of laid-back fun. Yeah, just a little bit of chilled fun, just the two of us. Which is what Steve probably didn't have last night. No, I When didn't. he had to watch his What's in the Box recommendation of Brian De Palma's 1989 Vietnam drama, Casualties of War. Steve! Spill the beans. Okay. Well, if you were listening last week, you would have heard me say that I really didn't like the movie Teeth. I didn't like this movie, but for completely different reasons. Let me get things out of the way right right off the head, out of the bat. It's a really good movie in terms of the way that it's shot, in terms of the way that it's acted. The script is top-notch. A lot of the shots look great, and the whole feel of being in the Vietnam War is palpable. I don't really think there's a single weak link amongst the actors, because every one of them seems to do an absolutely bang-up job. But what you have is a really deeply unpleasant story. Um, And a true story, too. And a true story, sadly. Uh, it's, uh, It's about Marty McFly... Uh, with a squad of, of his soldiers comprising of Spicoli, Luigi Mario, Wreck-It Ralph, and a guy who's done a lot of TV. And they're in the jungles of Vietnam. And they go out on a mission just after one of their own is killed. And they decide to enact revenge against the locals by kidnapping, raping, and ultimately murdering a poor young girl from a local Vietnamese village. 
The only holdout from that is Michael J. Fox's character, who tries to stop them, but obviously isn't. He's he's unable to stop them from raping them, but he doesn't take any part in the rape itself. And then it deals with kind of like the fallout of him afterwards trying to get the superiors to notice what's going on. And there's lots of uh, there's lots of things in this. There's lots of themes that it touches on, really. And you can wax lyrical about the various aspects about war films. You know, who are the bad guys in war? When is it right to abandon your principles in a war zone? And the way that war, the way that horrors of war are just simply accepted readily as if it's day-to-day life. And it does touch on a few of these things. But one thing that it is, it is uncomfortable viewing. And it's deliberately uncomfortable viewing. It makes you feel uncomfortably complicit in her murder and her rape. And actually, yet again, I watched this with my girlfriend last night. She didn't enjoy it for the same reasons. And I actually thought that the the rape scene in particular, which is kind of the centre point of the whole film, is done, if it, if such a thing can be done tastefully, it's done tastefully. But her actual murder is just, it's drawn out, it's... It's it's a very it's horrifying. It is. It's horrifying. It's an incredibly uncomfortable thing to watch and be part of. It leaves a scar on you, for sure. Yeah, it does for the rest of that movie. Yeah. You cannot ignore the fact that you have seen this. It weighs so heavily on that second half, and I think film is supposed to do that. I mm. think film has to evoke your own character as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. There is no humor in this movie. It is so serious straight down the line yeah okay and it just shows another side of the horrors of war especially the vietnamese war and i think you know for a long time especially in america you know you couldn't really speak out on those horrors in the vietnamese war until movies like uh i guess i know apocalypse now did then platoon well it, then- during the 80s there was this resurrection of war movies because like you say you had had apocalypse now that was more in the 70s but then you had full metal jacket you had platoon you had this and well it was the same with the gulf war you know these gulf war movies that started coming out in the 2000s you know in the mid 1990s there was never anything about it no you know it's it's the same now with the whole war on terror and, and brian de palma did another movie called redacted uh, in I think it was two thousand seven, two thousand eight, that really touched on the the horrors and crimes that were done by the Americans in uh, the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. You know, which was a real eye opening account. But yes, um, Casualties of War does it deserve its fresh rating? Oh God, yeah, it's it has some brilliant shots, and they shot in Thailand. They they didn't shoot in Vietnam, but they did shoot in Thailand and some of the scenery in there is absolutely fantastic. Uh, The acting, like I said, is first notch. The script is brilliant. One thing to note, uh, this was actually John C. Riley's first movie. Very true. He plays Hutch. Um, According to IMDb, he was down as an extra and he was Stephen Baldwin who was supposed to be playing the character. And then during filming, for whatever reason, uh, the two were replaced. So how that actually came about, I don't know. But it was really, really nice, like I joked earlier, seeing Wreck-It Ralph in uh, in a movie, looking all young and thin, as opposed to old and balding and working with uh, Will Ferrell. But before we go on, the one thing, one thing that I would like to mention is during the latter part of the film, uh, Michael J. Fox's character, Erickson, Private Erickson, is trying to get his senior officers to investigate what happened. And he goes to see Ving Rhames, so first of all, 
we need to see more Ving Rhames. We really do. But his character doesn't do anything. And then he goes above his head to the general. He doesn't do anything. And one of that, of course, Dale Dye, who is in every war movie you can imagine, including Under Siege. That's right, son. He's a military consultant, that is why. But when he's talking to to the general, the general turns around and says, look, you don't want to sentence these boys that are only 20 to prison for something stupid that they did. And the immediate thing that I thought of was the case of Brock Turner. Oh, wow. raped, okay. Yes. Who raped Chanel Miller behind, I think, behind a dumpster when she was drunk and passed out. And that was one of the things that was mentioned by the court saying that they didn't want to sentence someone who was so young with a big life ahead of them to prison. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a very good link. Never occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, soon well, as I heard, as soon as I heard him say that, that was the first thing that came into my head. Oh, and one final thing before we do move on: Ennio Morricone's music. Yes. Stand out throughout the whole Fabulous. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous, as always. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of the work that he did with the Palmer on uh, The Untouchables. Yes. Well, it was straight after that. Yeah. So it was uh, a year or so. I think Untouchables was 87. This was 89. Yeah. Um, obviously, a very good working relationship between the two of them there. There we go. That is Catastrophe's World. That is uh, Steve's uh, feedback on what's in the box. I know some people who also watched it, other than Neil. Other I will than say. Neil. Other than Neil, we we are starting a movement here of people actually catching these movies. Oh, really? Yes. So I, I put a thing out there saying basically, if you watch this film, you know, give us a thumbs up, and we got some thumbs up. So any comments? No, but we invite oh. any comments. If you're listening to this show, please give us some comments. You know, yeah. If you don't know where to look at, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Pottywood. You can go to Twitter at Pottywood. You can go to r slash Pottywood on uh, Reddit, which I think is back up because it went down earlier because it was a massive global system outage and I was kind of worried that we wouldn't be able to record this tonight. But yeah, get in touch with us. Let us know what you think about any of the movies that we talk about today or in any of the other shows. Exactly. There's a whole slew of places that you can message us. And speaking of a slew of things, we have anniversaries this week. Cue that theme, Steve-O. We watch them again all of the time Or we get them on Prime for free But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. So, anniversaries for this week. What movies were released throughout the decades on this day? Well, we've got to start at 40 years, Steve. Mm, make me feel old, come on. Yes, so when we were little partners, I guess, little... Tykes. Nippers, tykes, whatever the words are. Shits. Shits, yes. <laughs> uh, Cheech and Chong released their movie through Columbia, Nice Dreams, in which they played ice cream men. It wasn't among the best of Cheech and Chong's films. In fact, I think as soon as they left Universal and started doing movies for Columbia, I think their appeal just kind of drowned out quite a bit. And Nice Dreams is not one of their most memorable, but it was released 40 years ago. I know of Cheech and Marin and Tommy Chong, but I haven't seen any of their films. Seen them in other stuff. Haven't seen Open Smoke smoke. is the best. Let's go for 30 years. Here's the big shocker. 30 years ago this week, we watched The Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Now, that 
that makes sense because it was around about the same time as Casualties of War, wasn't it? It was about 1890. No, well, it'd be 91. What am I talking 91. about? Yeah, dude, seriously. Oh, God, you can tell the failed maths, can't you? Yes, so Hannibal Lecter was launched onto us for the second time because he was first displayed in Michael Mann's mm-hmm. Manhunter in 1986 or 1988 if you're in the UK because that's when it was finally released over yeah. here. And coinciding now, I mean, he won the Academy Award for Hannibal Lecter, I believe. Yeah. And this year, he won the Academy Award again. Yes, he did. So, a 30, is that a 30 year gap, or at least a 29 year gap, between two Academy Awards for Best Actor? Yeah. And during the time on Sounds of the Lambs, I think he was only on screen for about 18 minutes or something like that. Just goes to prove that you don't need to. You don't need to have lots of screen time to have an impact. Exactly. You know, it's it's created that fantastic meme that is out there of put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> it puts the lotion in the basket, Clarice. Yes, my favorite one out there is like guys shopping in um, this kind of uh, soap and glory stores with their girlfriend. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. So yeah, that's my favorite meme. Anyway. Moving on from that. So Sansa you the can't Lambs. You can't do a Ted Levine impression, can you? No, no. We're... Ted is the only man. Is it Ted Levine or Jerry Levine? There's two of them, Ted, isn't there? Ted, Ted Levine. Yes. Yeah. I know there's two of them and they're very similar in movies. Yeah. Okay, so 15 years ago, the remake of The Omen, John Moore's remake of The Omen, was released through 20th Century Fox. It starred uh, Julia Stiles. Mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and I, I wanted to touch on this. Now, I love The Omen, the original Omen from 1978. Yeah, 1978, I believe. And I did uh, go and watch the remake of The Omen because I do like John Moore. I think John Moore is a fantastic visionary director who just gets the wrong projects because you know John Moore, he, he directed this. He unfortunately he directed a good day to die hard. Oh god, yeah, that was god awful that one. I'm sorry, John. It was it it was it no, it was bad. Yeah, and I think we we haven't heard much from John Moore since that. But you know, he he has had uh, a whole bunch of projects. He's like um Didn't he direct Max Payne or am I thinking of someone else? He did direct Max Payne. Thought so. Okay. And uh I I'm gonna go on a line I actually do really like Max Payne. I thought he was okay. quite good as well. Yeah. Uh, this is two game conversions that we have agreed on in the, in this month alone. Normally we cannot find one we can agree on because we agreed that Silent Hill was a very underrated movie as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Max Payne is a fantastic like film noir. And, and if you don't link it to the video game, which is what most people are doing, it's a really good movie. Yeah. yeah you know, it, it certainly has some really, really good visually interesting moments in there yeah i'll I'll give it its due that that is a a film that deserves a good rewatch kind of separated away from that video game Mm. you know failure comparison uh but yeah uh the omen remake uh it was to cash in on the fact that it was released on the 6th of the 606 which was clever clever but ultimately that shouldn't be your reason for making a movie no and if whether it's just to hold on to the 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 franchise or whatever maybe the rights would do up I don't know but it it didn't offer anything different and the original is still uh, a million times better which was Richard Donner I believe it was the same guy that directed Lethal Weapon and Superman 
Yes. Diversity. That's what I love about that yeah. guy. Okay. Here we go. Ten years ago, one of, a film I absolutely love, Kung Fu Panda 2 was released. I, I watched this. I watched this recently, actually. Nothing is more consistently entertaining than the Kung Fu Panda movies. All three of them are fabulous, in my view. But Kung Fu Panda 2 has the extra props of having Jean-Claude Van Damme voice a crocodile. Is that the one with Gary Oldman in it as well? Or am I getting myself confused? That, did he play the baddie? I think he played the baddie. That could have been him. I might get that confused with the bad guy from uh, Kung Fu Panda 1, who was uh, Ian McShane. Yes. The wonderful Ian McShane. Because all those British people have to be the bad guy. That's because we do it so well. We do. And we, we mastered the language. Yes. And then butchered it. So it's our yes. language to butcher. We can do whatever we want with it. It is. Uh, I highly recommend Kung Fu Panda 2. I also recommend uh, Silence of the Lambs as well. So mm. out of our anniversaries, there are two movies. If you have not seen, go and celebrate them this week. Go and watch them. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Watch Silence of the Lambs first and then watch Kung Fu Panda because that way you'll cheer yourself up afterwards. Yes. And yeah. uh, there's no rapes in either of them. So no, thank God. Yes. Uh, I'm really hoping that your What's in the Box this week is not the accused. Is, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, no, please don't be the accused. Oh, no. That would that would be the cruelest like double bill. I, I'm I'm holding out hope it's going to be something much more lighthearted this week. Ah, well, even if it, I just thought even if it was the accused according to the rules of what's in the box, I have already seen it, so it doesn't apply. Boom. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. So this week, as we don't have a guest, a couple of weeks ago we, we were tossing out some ideas of you know should we not have a Ooh, guest uh. on? Yeah, Ooh, uh, yes. Should. <laughs> Sorry, do that one again. <laughs> I told you last time I wasn't doing it again. Right. Now we've got to start all over again. All right. Okay. All right. Hang on a minute. Don't you fucking make me laugh. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know if this should stay in now. <laughs> that's what you said. Hey! <laughs> right. Okay. Let me pick this up. That's what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) I'm crying. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God, I'm genuinely crying. (laughs) While Steve is trying to compose himself. Uh, whatever. Oh Leave it in. Leave it in. People can just go, you know, make a cup of tea or something. Oh, dear. Oh, uh, God. Right. Oh. Okay. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. You're I'm not, not sorry you're at right. all. I'm not. You're quite right. <laughs> I don't know who this who this counts towards for getting the other to corpse. I think this is equal corpsing. Yeah, I've made myself corpse. That's actually quite bad. That is quite bad. You should lose some points for uh, the series end. So anyway, anyway, carry on. Let's try this again. Uh, let's, let's just pick it up. So a couple of weeks ago, Steve and I were having a discussion. Should we not have any guests on? We'll still try and make it fun with just the two of us by throwing out maybe a couple of little random topics. And this week, we wanted to do something called Get It Freshed. 
Well, that just says it all, doesn't it? Yes, the legally distinct tune of Get It Fresh there. By Metal Liquor. Yes. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, get it fresh. Compose yourself. You're supposed to be a professional to making a video, damn it. So, get it fresh is all about, obviously, the certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Do we believe it's always accurate? No. No, we don't. But we know that you love movies that aren't certified fresh, as do we. Mm-hmm. So I asked Steve to come up with four choices. He does not know what my four choices are. No. I don't know what his four choices are. But we are going to discuss the reasons why these should be certified fresh when they are not. Exactly. Now, like Andy said, we don't know what either of us have picked, so there could be ones that are the same on each other's list. I doubt it, though, actually. Because, what, what are the odds? Because you, I uh, think, are going to be mainly going for more kind of highbrow, intellectually stimulating movies, whereas mine, they're not quite up there. They're more, like I like, more kind of mainstream populist movies. So this is going to be interesting. I have never heard these four movies called that before, <laughs> but... I'm open to anything. So, as soon as I came up with the idea, I guess I will start. Go for it. Okay. So, for my first choice, I am going to choose Walter Hill's 1978 movie, The Driver. Okay? Okay. Now, my reason for choosing this movie, Walter Hill is a director who shows that Western influence throughout his movies. They're all about the popular Western themes of either the silent stranger coming into town... Uh, the grizzled lawman and det- or detective teaming up with someone from the other side mm-hmm. and rarely has it worked so well than when Walter Hill has been behind it. So movies like uh, 48 Hours with Nick Cage and Eddie Murphy, they're throwbacks to movies like 310 to Yuma. Mm-hmm. Southern Comfort is like uh, Stagecoach. Red Heat is like those uh, Bud Spencer, Terence Hill, Italian Western movies. And so he seamlessly integrates this style into his movies. Now, the reason I love The Driver is because it does something interesting in removing the identities of the characters and referring to them only by what they are. So Ryan O'Neill is known as the driver. Bruce Dern is the detective. Isabella Gianni is the player. Uh, Ronnie Blakely is the connection, and so on and so forth. No one is identified by name. This movie itself, it's had major influence on movies like Drive, starring Ryan Gosling, uh, a movie called Faster that starred Dwayne Johnson, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, and Quentin Tarantino himself has listed this as one of the coolest movies of all time. Now, me myself, I've been heavily influenced by this movie in a script that I've done that I'm hopefully going to film at some point later this year. Mm-hmm. It's inspired, uh, it was a movie that was inspired by Jean Pierre Melville's Le Samurai, right? Which, if you know your movies, it's one of the most influential films for most filmmakers, from Martin Scorsese right through the gamut. Everyone knows this movie. Currently, it stands at 73% fresh, but not certified fresh. In my mind, this deserves to be certified fresh. Quick little side note. Um, yes. Before I ask you why you think it should be certified fresh, while I was looking through the the way that Rotten Tomatoes works. turns out that you need to have a consistent score of over 75%, and I think you need to have five positive critics' reviews, not user reviews, critics' reviews, of over 75% to get it certified fresh. Under Siege 
currently rates higher than the driver. It's not certified, but it is currently rating higher with 79%. Now, while that is a good movie, I'm guessing that you're going to say it's nowhere near as good as a driver, right? Nowhere near as good. And to be honest, that is Steven Seagal's best movie. And mm-hmm. the director, Andrew Davis, you know, he's a consistently great director, which I think is testament to him. And plus, Erica Eleniak was in it. Mm, oh. Yes, yes, she most certainly was. I've never been more hungry for cake in my life. But no, it's not as good as The Driver. So, okay, then why should The Driver be certified fresh? Well, it's a classic thriller. It's got everything that you love about 70s movie making in it. So the performances are top-notch. Right? And, and not a lot of people feel that Ryan O'Neill delivers 100% of the time, but in this movie, he is perfect. He is just this quiet, methodical driver. I think he only has something like 150 words in the entire movie. You have Bruce Dern um, playing this crooked detective uh, who is out to get him. That His insane desire is to catch Ryan O'Neill's character in the act of... Um, being this getaway driver of all these big heists. The the car chases, the car work, the cinematography, the acting, uh, it just oozes cool. And it's a film that didn't do so well, but as we'll discuss soon enough in some of my other choices, the movies that don't do so well are the ones that last much longer. I've got to agree with you there. I think the, the ones that usually score the highest, those are the ones that get all the critical accolades, but they're not necessarily the ones that people enjoy the most. I think most people enjoy the ones which are which are kind of a little bit lower. They kind of are on the way to perfection, but not perfection. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a great way of putting it. I couldn't agree more. Okay, Steve, hit me with you first. Well, the first one is actually... It's, Under Siege. It's, <laughs> No, actually. No, it is a slight cheat. It's a slight cheat. It's actually three movies. That's, that is majorly cheating, uh, but it, it's better work. Okay. They are, in fact, the Hobbit trilogy. Okay. All okay. Right. right. Hence why I said there's three movies. Now, just going to go down the uh, the ratings. All three films just go the gamut, really. You've got 64%, which is fresh, but not certified fresh for an unexpected Germany. Germany? <laughs> Unexpected Germany. Unexpected <laughs> Germany. Nobody expects Germany. Um, <laughs> Inglorious Hobbits. <laughs> I would love to see that. Oh, oh, God, I'm picturing it right now in my head. I'm just picturing Sam Austin beating up a Nazi with a baseball bat. <sighs> okay, so it's 64% for an unexpected journey. Uh, then it goes up to actually certified fresh for the Desolation, Desolation of Smaug with 74%. And then it drops down to Rotten with 59% with the Battle of the Five Armies. Now, people have a lot of issue with the Hobbit movies. And I can't talk about these things in the same kind of eloquent way that you do, Andy. You know the details and the minutiae. I just go off how things make me feel. Yes. There was no chance that they could possibly be up to the same standard as Lord of the Rings films. It couldn't do. You're looking at movies which had several years worth of prep that ended up with so much work being done on them and then winning 11 out of the 13 Oscars that they were nominated for for Return of the King. The Hobbit book is far thinner, there's far less in it. It is aimed at kids, whereas Lord of the Rings is aimed at 
older audiences and you look at all the issues with production, uh, if you've seen any of the appendices for it, and there's trouble going on all the way. They've got less time to prep, uh, cast members are dropping out and being replaced. The whole thing was an absolute dumpster fire at the beginning, but it was able to actually come out. Now, last year, when the world shut down, one of the things I was doing was trying to go back to films which I found comforting. So I was watching the Lord of the Rings films, I was watching the Hobbit movies again, and really enjoying them. Like, really enjoying them. For more than anything else, it took me off to Middle-earth once again. I was able to visit places like the Shire, even though it was only through my TV screen. And it was just so nice to see returning characters like Gandalf, and Saria McKellen can... He's the only one that can play Gandalf now in my head. And it was just a wonderful thing to see. So I think many people need to stop comparing it to The Lord of the Rings and just start to treat it as its own thing, which is this charming, family-friendly, almost a children's story, which just happens to have a great, big, huge, slightly gory battle in the third film. Would it have scored higher if Billy Connolly died? Possibly, but then again, the character doesn't die in the books anyway, so... Uh, it's, it's Hollywood that changed that. I I'm actually going to agree with you on the Hobbit trilogy. I mean, I've, I've only ever seen the extended versions of them because I knew the extended versions were going to come out, so it's like, mm-hmm. why do I want to watch a smaller version of it? What, I'll just wait over them watching the same thing twice, just with extra scenes. And I love the Hobbit trilogy. I'd, I really do. I think that as one complete huge story, it is amazing. Yeah. I guarantee if you come into it without seeing one of the other, like I did when I first saw Star Wars, I actually saw The Empire Strikes Back before A New Hope as a kid. You know, so I was generally confused. But it's it's an amazing spectacle. It's fantastic on a big screen as well. It is. They're always very well done. I think Peter Jackson, you can say what you like about the length of his movies, but he does tend to make very visually interesting movies. And he still has a lot of love for the uh, the franchise and the the works of Tolkien in general. It's too long, though. There are lots of things which should go. But um, overall, I think it is one of those movies that, for me, I call it cinematic comfort food. Yes. In full agreement there on that one. I know you're not in agreement with mine because you haven't seen The Driver. Sadly not, but is it in the box? I might just have to put it in there. Yeah, we might have just have to cheat the box a little bit to yes. get that one in there. Okay, so for my second, are you ready? Hit me with it, Daddy-O. I'm going to go with Die Hard 2. Oh! Ah, no, no, actually, no, that makes sense. Okay. Currently, it stands at 69% fresh. Nice. Not certified fresh. Okay. Now, personally... There's some hate for the movie. I don't understand the hate for the movie. It certainly isn't a good day to die hard, which was unfortunately not up to scratch within the whole canon of die hard. But I feel it's just under the first and live free or die hard, which is die hard for in the enjoyment stakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. For one, Rennie Harlan did a fantastic job. He was still relatively new director at this point. I think he'd only done a nightmare on Elm street four and uh, the Adventures of Ford Fairline, which was a notoriously terrible movie. And then he'd landed this Die Hard gig. And there's the old adage that Snow and Rennie Harlan make for great movies, which is certainly true when it comes to later films like Cliffhanger and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, I really like Cliffhanger as well. So the the reasons that I really this really stands out for me, and I went to the cinemas to see this uh, as a teenager, 
there's, a, there's still a huge reliance on practical stunt work and effects for this movie. The ejector seat excluded, obviously. Oh, uh, and the uh, scaffolding that falls on the dummy. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I had a feeling you'd bring that up. The, the other good aspect of it, they didn't make a Superman out of the character of John McClane. He's still a guy who, <laughs> beginning of the movies, he's having his car towed away. He's still the odd guy out in the room. He still has his flaws. And this was the first time he actually was dealing with real terrorists because the bad guys in the first film were actually thieves posing as terrorists. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it had a fantastic plot twist that I didn't see coming. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you here. Uh, It's still centred around one area and not across the vast city landscapes like Diode River Vengeance and uh, Lithria Die Hard and Good Day to Die Hard and uh, Die Hard Laughing. Die Hard with a Vengeance actually... That still, that still did it well, even though it was spread over New York. Yes, they did do it well. But on an important note, they made the bad guys a very real threat and not just two-dimensional characters by downing this 747 that was flown by Jimmy Rabbit's dad from The Commitments. <laughs> you know, it's It's got this really impressive cast filling out these terrorists, including very young turns from Robert Patrick, Von de Curtis Hall, mm-hmm. uh, John Leguizamo. Yet again, making his second appearance on this show. And Don Harvey, who was in Casualties Ooh. of War, was also in Die Hard 2. <laughs> With John Leguizamo. Yes. Wow. I wonder if one of them got the other one, the job on that. I don't know. That would be interesting to, to see. Oh, I might ask Don Harvey about that. Now, yeah. I actually do rank this as a sequel. It's, you know, the first one is the first one, okay? Mm. You, nothing is ever going to touch that movie. Um. But Die Hard 2, it's right up there. I rank it high, even though those planes had a bunch of airports not even an hour's flight away to land. <laughs> yeah, that is actually one thing. If you've been anywhere near Washington, D.C., you know you've got New York is only, what, about two hours' drive away? Yeah, they could have gone to Philly. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they all circling around? I don't know. It makes no sense when you think about it. That, that, that's one of the only down parts, apart from the fact that for somehow it doesn't sit right with me that they're uh, transporting this international terrorist to an airport over Christmas. Mm. <laughs> I just it just doesn't feel right. But hey, don't let logic get in the way of a really good thrill ride, and that's what Die Hard Two is for me. It's also based on a book, just like the first one was. Yes, a different book, not even linked. Uh, fifty. It's called like fifty-one minutes or fifty-nine minutes or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, the main character isn't John McClane, unlike with the. Uh, uh, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe that the first one's based on. Yes, and that film was heavily edited in the UK upon release. Very heavily. Although, actually, no, it was it was edited for the, the usual kind of 4x3 pan and scan version. No, I'm talking about the content. The actual film was heavily edited, and then when it came on TV, it was even more edited. And it wasn't until it was released on DVD here in the UK that you actually saw the proper version of it. I don't know, because there was an 18-rated widescreen version and a 15-rated uh, 4x3 version. Possibly. No, there was. I remember seeing it in the library. I was confused as to why it was the same film, but it had two different ratings on it. Hmm. It's still not a good day to die hard. No. So, what is your number two? <laughs> Sorry, all I can think... I'm just feeling very childish today. All I can think was that line in Austin Powers. Who does number two work for? Uh, my number two is, we actually mentioned the director earlier on, it's a Richard Donner film. It stars Mel Gibson, 
it has Danny Glover in it. <laughs> I know what it is. It is Maverick. Maverick, yes. Yes. It was the, I think it was 91, 92. Uh, it's currently sitting on 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was made in the time just between, uh, I think, Lethal Weapon 2 and 3, when Mel Gibson was still seen as a, you know, a suave ladies' man. And, uh, you know, his jokes didn't kind of make you feel a bit uncomfortable. And it's a really fun Western, first of all. It is a really, really fun Western with some... Like I was saying about the, the review of uh, of Casualties of War earlier, some beautiful landscapes. It's also got some great action set pieces like the Runaway Coach. Um, it's got a lot of funny dialogue. And it just also happens to have some really, really good performances in it as well with Jodie Foster and uh, James Garner as... Uh, as The original played, Maverick. Who was the original Maverick, yep, back in the TV series. And throughout the whole movie, Maverick's trying to get to a poker game and people are stiffing him for the money that they owe him at every turn. And he's, he's got these wonderful reoccurring jokes that just keep popping up again and again. You've got a really, really good bad guy from Alfred Molina. And uh, a nice little twist at the end, which, yet again... You've not seen it. I'm not gonna uh, not gonna spoil it here. But it is a fun, funny family western that I do understand because I remember being a little kid and seeing all the westerns on TV and not being interested mainly because they were in black and white because I didn't know any better. But it is the kind of western that you probably could introduce to a kid and then say, "What do you think of this?" And then they start laughing. And then maybe they want to see some of the stuff. So maybe not show them blazing saddles just yet. <laughs> um, but there, no, there's a few there's a few other ones that you could introduce them to down the line. So I just think it's one of those movies which kind of got a little bit of a short thrift at the time. But visually, I think it looks great. I think the cast is great. Um, and... If you've got any kind of fondness for the the way that the Lethal Weapon movies have that kind of fun banter and interplay with them, then yeah, watch this. I I think it needs to it needs to go up the uh, the tomatometer a bit further. To be honest, I was actually shocked that that's not certified fresh. Mm. Um, I I generally thought that would have been, and uh, it's a great film. Uh, I'm sure when the anniversary of that comes around, Bill Daly will talk us through it. I'm sure it's one of his favorite films. Okay then, right. So talk briefly about that one. Uh, so, Andy, what is your next choice? Is this like the countdown and we've forgotten what number we're at? No, we're at number three for you. Oh, phew. Thank God. We'll edit that out later. Okay. Um... <laughs> the thing is, knowing our <laughs> countdowns, it wouldn't really make much of a difference anyway. This could be number seven no. for all I know. True. Well, this is my number three. I'm going to go for 1998's Ronin. Oh, uh, John Frankenheimer. Yes, I like straight off the bat, let me get this out here first. I love John Frankenheimer. Mm. And while most people point out the island of Dr. Moreau came before this, when and whenever you say the name, yeah, okay, that was a misfire. But when he is on point, he is incredible. And nowhere is that more apparent than behind the wheel of a car like Grand Prix or Ronin. Okay? Re- Have to Ronin, agree. Ronin is currently rated sixty eight percent fresh. Okay. Really? Really, right? Now, this action movie always felt so different from Hollywood action movies, and that's because it isn't, okay? 
The only trace of Hollywood lies in the leading man, Robert De Niro, and he's not even playing the typical leading man that Hollywood movies would throw out there. Now, I love this movie because it was a pure throwback to 70s cinema, like The French Connection, The Seven Ups, all those movies that I love to this day. You've got an international cast with Jean Reno, who was wonderful in this movie, absolutely brilliant. And Natasha McElhone with the dodgiest Ulster accent you will ever hear in a movie. <laughs> oh, it's uh, terrible. It's... Oh, but she's beautiful and so talented. Yeah. You've got Stellan Skarsgård and then mm-hmm. three, count them, three former Bond villains in Jonathan Price, Michael Lonsdale and the most irritating Sean Bean you will ever see in a movie. It was almost Raspberry Jam Butler. <laughs> I had almost forgotten that Jonathan Price was in it. Yeah, totally he forgotten. Al- he also has a dodgy Ulster accent as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it was Sean Bean's first movie, oh, or, the, no, or at no, least no, his no. first Hollywood movie. Anyway, I think he'd done uh, like British ones before then. But he- yeah, he he'd been in a, a Paul W S Anderson movie called Shopping, which I actually really liked. He had yeah. a small part in it, and I think he'd done a little few little roles here and there. But it was, I think, the first kind of springboard. And, and what's incredible in this movie is the supercharged car chases. And you get two of them. Yeah, Absolute masterclass in filmmaking. These chases belong up there with the French Connection and Bullet as the most famous movie chases committed to celluloid. Okay? It's not like some Michael Bay-style jump-cutting every couple of seconds. Nothing but pure carnage, tearing through the streets of Paris, right? And it's done with so much style. Uh, The script alone was written by David Mamet which is always ticks a box for me because I'm a huge fan of David Mamet mm-hmm. but and if you've grown up with like Fast and Furious being your generation of car chases and stunt work you've been missing out on the real craft and that is Ronin and that is why I think it should be rated fresh absolutely 100% agree with you particularly the second chase in the movie it's incredible. It, it really is. that If you have only seen things like The Fast and the Furious, you are looking at movies which are heavily doctored with CGI. And as far yes. as I'm aware, I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a single instance of CGI in any of these chases. We are talking about actual vehicles driving incredibly fast, very, very close to other actual vehicles causing actual crashes. The camera work is so wonderfully tight and focused on the vehicles. You get this real dramatic sense of speed. And I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating right now. I am literally getting goosebumps thinking about this. these car chases in this movie. The rest of it isn't uh, It isn't kind of that, that brilliant. No, no. The, the but, entire movie is great. I, I love... The, the pacing, the characterization, you don't even know if everyone is actually using their real names. You no. don't know the real identities of these people, you know, and it plays for a lot of paranoia. Is there going to be double crosses? And, um, you know, there's, there's a great story by Michael mm-hmm. Lonsdale in it in regards to the, the 47 Ronin who became like masterless samurai after they were betrayed, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's been done in other movies as well, but it kind of ties into it. And it really is uh, just well-paced, brilliantly directed, and just satisfying movie. And very practical. You know, they, they've done very everything practical. without all the gimmicks of special effects. Mm-hmm. And on one note, it's actually kind of uh, a unique movie because you're unsure if Sean Bean actually dies or not. Yeah, that's very true. 
It's up to you he to did, decide. He died in his performance, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he did. What's the well, colour of the been... boathouse? <laughs> What's it? How the f- should I know? But um, no, it's you know, it's they, they all played their parts, and I think he mm-hmm. was just supposed to play this really phony guy who's just like pretending, you know, to be this mercenary type person, and you know, he played his part really well. He was supposed to play this really irritating character that was English, and I think that's why it probably rubbed a lot of English people the wrong way, <laughs> but. But you know, he really is. Uh, he, he didn't. I think he even said "bastard" in it. So I think we we get the extra Sean Bean counter there. Ah, oh, you bastard! Him and Timothy Dalton having a bastard off—that would be brilliant. Oh God, that'd be absolutely wonderful, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Christmas album material. That. Okay. What's your number three, Steve? Uh my number three is also something which I revisited last year during lockdown, and it is a it is a Disney movie. And it is, I think it's one of those movies which has just been really overlooked over the years. It is The Rocketeer. <laughs> oh, genius. I love this movie. Rocketeer, which is currently sitting, just like with Maverick, on 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it is it is just full on a proper homage to the, uh, the serialized nature of things like uh, Flash Gordon. But... Still within the 1940s, um, you've got this guy called Clint Seacord, uh, Cliff Seacord, sorry, and uh, he ends up in possession of a rocket pack, which the bad guys are after. Shh, don't tell anyone. And he he then uses it to try and uh, try and save the day as the hero would, and it is wonderful. You've got uh, you've got Jennifer Connelly looking yes. as lovely as possible. You've got. Um, Oh, God, I've forgotten his name now. Alan Arkin. Ever, the ever-reliable Alan Arkin. Yes. And I still love his, I still love his delivery in uh, in Get Smart after the swordfish comes through the window, but we'll, that's a different story altogether. Yes. Anyway, what you have here is, first of all, you've got the golden age of Hollywood back in the 1940s. And I love, love, love all that style, all the fashion. I love the attitudes that's going on there. I love the the way that the movie-making process is shown. I love that the fact that you've got so many realistic plane stunts and so on. You've got a wonderful kick-ass kids adventure. You've got the... The hero, which is constantly on the back foot and he's always trying to do the right thing. You've got the dashing damsel in the stress. You've got the moustache twirling villain. You've got Timothy the bag- Dalton. Yet again, you've got the the bad guys becoming good guys, uh, and you've got some really really good jokes. But above all else, it is just a wonderful, wonderful, warm and charming adventure with an absolutely amazing score which is just worth the price of admission alone now i i fully agree this is actually one of my favorite movies i love the rocketeer mm. i've always had this love of this movie since it was first released and i know uh jay oliva who is going to be on the show next week he has a love for the rocketeer as well which you know hopefully you'll we'll be able to get out of him a little bit obviously now with the rocketeer being a disney movie mm-hmm. and disney owning marvel what would you give for the Rocketeer and Captain America in their heyday teaming up together? Ooh, now that could work. That could that could work because then you might have uh, like the Falcon being the modern day equivalent. Yeah, they they, they could roll that in. They that own it. Sense. What are they going to do? Who's going to tell them no? I don't know. Also, uh, just funnily enough, you've got Joe Johnston. 
directed the the Rocketeer and Captain America: The First Avenger. Oh, wow! Ooh, it, everything's linked. It is. Everything is linked. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared to carry on now, just in case. Yeah, so you've obviously got that link between the two, and I actually think I remember reading somewhere that it was Joe Johnston's attention to period detail that ended up getting him the job working on Captain America. I could be wrong, though. Could be wrong. Part of which of that was actually filmed uh, here in Manchester as well. So there yes, go. I was there. I was there to see it being filmed. Yes. So, okay, then. So that was my number three. What is your last and final entry, Andy? My last and final entry. This may be a controversial one, but I love this movie. It currently is rated at 64% fresh. Now, this movie personifies the 80s for me growing up, and it's The Running Man. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't expect that, did you? I did not. I was expecting something far more highbrow than The Running Man. Right, let me explain. I love it, though. For starters... This was the point where Arnold Schwarzenegger was a household name. Arguably the biggest movie star on the planet with the release of this, Predator and Red Heat in succession. Mm-hmm. Okay, Now this was the period where Arnie and ultraviolet movies really delivered at the box office before he made Twins. Now it's very far removed from its uh, original Stephen King origins, but I feel this movie has become very prophetic to a degree. It's certainly the most relevant this movie, it's, it's a satire on the growing influence of television and the growing need of the consumer demanding satisfaction. Okay, Today we see reality TV. We get bored much faster. A TV series can be cancelled overnight instead of running up to five seasons like they did back in the 80s. But you kind of look at the message that this movie promotes, uh, that we're being lied to by the news that we're fed, Uh, that the government and the media are working together and they force feed us distraction and lies to keep us controlled. You know, it was a smart movie dressed up as a violent action picture, Mm -hmm. okay? Arnie was at his pontastic way before he went overkill with Mr. Freeze. Don't Uh, even mention that film, God. (laughs) Well, you also had, um, I believe, Richard Dawson or Richard Lawson, one of them. Uh, Dawson, I think. Yeah, Richard Dawson. He was just... Loving this role as Damien Killian. He owned this movie. Arguably the best actor in it by far. He he was just made for this role. I love that Harold Faltermeyer score. I can Mm. even remember it was used in an old German movie channel called Filmnet back in the day. That's how memorable that music was. And how can you not love uh, what's trying to be a, a really serious action movie? You know, and really violent, that has a batshit crazy stuff like Captain Freedom's workout, and <laughs> Mick Fleetwood leading a rebellion as Mick Fleetwood. I know. <laughs> right? It's got it's got hints of uh, the Paul Verhoeven stuff that he'd show in uh, Robocop and Total Recall. Yeah. that kind of satire feel to it. But obviously, it predates all of that stuff. Well, no, because Robocop was the same year. Was it the same year? Nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah. I thought Robocop came out in 88. Was I, am no. I wrong? It might have been released on video in 88 over here, but it, the movie was a 1987 movie, right, the possibly. same as The Running Man. You're right, though. It is interesting to see the kind of themes that are touched on in the movie and the way that we have the world today, particularly if you look on social media. That is just full of stuff. You know, Companies like um, the Facebook have uh, been accused a number of times of 
putting up posts that uh, that are supporting or uh, one political candidate over another, or uh, the the not taking down stuff which is perpetuating lies while suppressing other ones. I mean, even just recently, uh, recently as far as this week actually, you had the anniversary of uh, Tiananmen Square, and Bing suddenly completely deleted any reference to the Tank Man picture off the yes. off the website, which they put down to an error. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, but the timing is rather suspect. So we're now living in a world where, yeah, things are very, very controlled, but they're controlled behind the scenes, so we don't know what's going on. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, the the Running Man, a lot of people will say, oh my God, really? But I've watched it again just recently, and I found I'm enjoying it even more, right? Because it is very tongue-in-cheek. You know, you've got these huge bad guys that are seriously over the top like buzz or dynamo mm. you can't get any more over the top than dynamo no <laughs> right but it's it's just such a fun movie sadly we lost uh Yafet Kato this year who plays one of um the contestants who goes in with Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. it's a slice of 80s nostalgia yeah okay and there was a lot of movies that just got churned out in the 80s and, and kind of just like mass produced. And this movie, I always had a bit of a thing for. Now I've got even more of a thing for it, where it's just one of those films you can just sit back and say, okay, look, can't take this seriously, but there's some serious messages in there that yeah. are so relevant. It's a serious story in a dumb movie. <laughs> yes. But a dumb movie that is so much fun. It is. It is a fun hour and a half of your life. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, The Running Man for me. So, what's your last one, Steve? Okay. Well, mine also has man in the title. And it is sitting on 56%. It is officially rotten, as far as Rotten Tomatoes is concerned. And it is Man of Steel. No, I, I love this movie. Uh, so do I, right? Now, I know that uh, you, have, uh, you have people like... Jay, who uh, who have worked on the uh, the DC Cinematic Universe, uh, including Man of Steel, including Man of Steel. So you know, some people might be thinking, "Oh, you're just saying this just to suck up." No, I'm not. I genuinely, hand on my heart, and I will take any oath that you can possibly put before me. I genuinely believe that the Zack Snyder uh, DC films are enjoyable. They're very enjoyable. And I really do think that the Man of Steel is really under underappreciated. I mean, well, first off, I've never had as much of a fondness for Superman that many other people have got. Even the Richard Donner films. We're bringing Richard Donner back again. Scary. Yeah. Um, so for me, Superman has always been a, a goody two shoes, a um, just an overpowered Boy Scout. And he's never really been very interesting. This was the first time that I actually found him interesting. It was the first time that I actually saw him being properly weak. Not just physically, but kind of emotionally. And being vulnerable in that way. And coupled with the fact that you have a great cast. uh, It was lovely seeing Kevin Costner come back out. And I thought he did a really, really good Jonathan Kent. And I liked the interplay and the scenes between him and uh, and a young Clark Kent. I've briefly forgotten the name of the guy that plays General Zod. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Thank you. Michael Shannon plays a great 
proper psychotic bad guy in this one. Swiveled-eyed lunacy that's just barely contained. Uh, but he's contained within this 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 desire to do what he believes is right. The visuals look great. Yeah, there's a little bit too much shaky cam going on there. I'm not going to lie. The product placement is a little bit in your face. And the wanton destruction at the end does feel a little bit too much like disaster porn at times. But I think overall you have a well-acted film. I think Henry Cavill looks and acts brilliantly as Superman. I think he's probably the best choice for the character since Christopher Reeve. I thought Hans Zimmer's score was brilliant. I listen to that all the time. It's on my it's on my phone now. So I listen to that sometimes when I'm in the car or if I just want to chill out at night. And I was really interested to see the way that it would then tie into the rest of his uh, his version of the DCEU. No, CU. DCCU going forward. Um which obviously that all got curtailed because people didn't want it dark. But the thing is, if you're going to do a realistic take on someone like Superman, it is going to be a bit darker because we don't live in a world where you could accept the the Christopher Reeve type. And no, I just think it, I just think it's a good film. I think it's an enjoyable film. I will quite happily stick my neck on the block for that one. Just one second, after moving my chair, so you can edit this bit out. Oh, hey, I was getting so uncomfortable. Right, okay, back in and scene. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm not editing that out at all. No, no. Okay, fine. Um, I, I've got to admit, I have very good memories of Man of Steel because I went to see this in Pasadena with the most diverse group of uh, entertainment people you probably could. And I went to see it in 3D, okay? Mm-hmm. So I went with our good friend, Becca Marks. Hi, Becca. Uh, hi, Becca. And she is doing fabulous at the moment. She's working on um, The Marvelous Miss Maisel this week. Wow. Yes. Way to go. Yeah. Uh, we caught her just before she has had this massive influx of uh, work coming in. So we're going to see her in a lot of stuff. She's um, not going to want to talk to us soon. Oh, she does. She already wants to come back on. Oh, does she? Great. Yeah, yeah she hates on. every other podcast. <laughs> 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 I bet she doesn't. But um, yeah, uh, so I was there with her. I was with uh, Ramon Estevez of Estevez Sheen Productions, uh, Charlie Sheen's brother, uh, producer brother, uh, fantastic friend. And I was there with headbanger thrasher himself, Glenn Ruth. And we all went to see this movie in 3D uh, when it was released in Pasadena. And uh, we're all there, and it was fabulous seeing it in 3D. Yeah. Until the moment where the space shuttles leave Krypton that look like penises. And Glenn Ruth burst out <laughs> laughing. And it echoed around the room, and everyone else was like, charlatan. (laughs) But me and Glenn Roof were there giggling, like, these things look like little penises that are taking off from the planet. Superman's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) But no, uh, in regards to the Snyderverse, I'm a huge fan of the Snyderverse, uh, and Man of Steel really delivers. It's better than Superman Returns. Oh, yes, yes, by far. Yeah, and and this really reignited Superman because I think Superman Returns, and you know, it is a good film, but that kind of damaged the character. I think the problem with Superman Returns is that he was trying to emulate what had gone before, whereas Man of Steel was off doing its own thing. Yes, Superman Returns wanted too much to be like the Richard Donner movies. It had kept the same music, it kept the same style, and it it just yeah, 
It was more like yeah. a Saturday morning cartoon, like the Richard Donner ones were. But yes. uh, Man but, of Steel. Does that has that movie not been cancelled yet? Because it has both Kevin Spacey and is directed by uh, Brian Re- Singer. Brian Singer. Yeah. Does that film still exist now? Apparently so. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Won't be long. All I do okay. know is one side tangent. Brett Ratner was originally supposed to direct Superman Returns and then left to go and direct X-Men Last Stand. But Brian Singer was supposed to direct X-Men Last Stand and then went off to work on Superman Returns. So, What a shifty rogue. Well, okay. We hope you enjoyed our little foray into uh, Get It Freshed. Yes, yeah, just something uh, a little bit different this week. If you don't agree, let us know. If you do agree, let us know. We want to hear what you like. If you haven't seen them, go and watch them. You mm-hmm. know, and if you haven't seen them in a long time, go and watch them. Even though Steve really cheated with three, but it was one story, though. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That, same director, case, I, same cast. In that story. case, I can do every single Friday the Thirteenth movie in one for next time because it is just the same Actually, story over and over. Yeah, with, with the exception of uh, probably Jason X. Oh, yes. and no, and. Uh, Freddy versus Jason. And yeah. the ninth one. Everything up to number eight is the same movie. Yes, fair enough. By the way, this week, uh, Partywood is called The New Blood. Episode seven, The New Blood. We should have done that at the start, really, shouldn't we? Ah, uh, well, too late now. No, man. Just pretend mind. you heard it. Yeah. So, seeing as though we don't have a guest, we don't have a nominate five, and we've kind of just nominated four each. But, Steve, there yes. is a Nominate 5. Now's the time to Nominate 5. Nominate 5? Yes, Nominate 5. Or 3, or 4, or 6, or 9. Now's the time to Nominate 5. And I'm so glad that you chose to do three movies as your first choice. Because I thought, oh, is this going to be really cheeky if I chuck a five on there just to stick with nominate five? And now I don't, so screw you. All right, fine. So I'm going to choose one extra for Ooh, our... you little cheat, yeah. I know, I know. Right. And unfortunately, this is going to seem like a huge suck-up, but it's not. This generally is something that I was very shocked today did not qualify as a certified fresh. It is rated 69% fresh, and I'm sure it's nice. going to be outraged by people when they realise that this is not certified fresh. And that is Highlander. Oh, really? Really. Now, this is one movie that just gets better every single time I see it. Truthfully, I'm not just recommending this because its director, Russell Mulcahy, is a good friend of mine. Okay? Every time that I see this movie, including last December, I watched it again, and the detail within every shot becomes more and more apparent. This was a movie unlike anything else at the time, and it still cannot be replicated no matter how many sequels and reboots they push out. Let's look at the ingredients here that you think would work against it. You've got Sean Connery playing an Egyptian. He's an Egyptian Spaniard, isn't he? Yeah, even better. He's doubling up. A lead in Christopher Lambert who hardly spoke a word of English during the entire shoot. A bad guy in Clancy Brown, who I believe had only been in supporting roles in stuff such as uh, 1983's Bad Boys prison movie with Sean Penn. And it relied heavily on flashbacks all the way through the film Mm. to tell the story. Now, Sean Connery's role as Ramirez is iconic. And it's not overused in the movie either. Christopher Lambert, you could hardly tell, was redubbed after shooting. 
Uh, it, it was expertly done with his own voice as yeah. well. Yeah, it was. And Clancy Brown just swallowed this role and crapped lightning as the Kurgan. Right? Oh, yeah. He was just... Yes. This was swivel-eyed lunacy. This is someone that just wants to go out and just destroy because it's fun. Oh, he was on another level. Yeah. Now, mentioning the flashbacks, okay, the flashbacks are possibly the greatest use of flashback storytelling in motion pictures to this day, right? Playing a part of the overall story instead of just filling in blanks. The script, the script is actually very inspiring in its structure. I used that structure on the script late last year and really opened my eyes to how this was structured and carved into kind of what we see in the final product. Um, when we look at Russell, Russell was still pretty new to feature films. He'd only directed a, an Australian horror film called Razorback, which, to be honest, is another great little movie that I kind of like. But that freshness was so apparent and welcome mm. and very controlled in its direction. You know, never once did they opt for the realm of the kind of unbelievable feat or allow special effects that were crammed into sci-fi movies at this time. The editing, you know, was on another level in some scenes. This is a movie where true creativeness was alive and well in the corporate studio years. Okay, so the sword fights, the choreography was amazing. Uh, the Queen soundtrack is now as iconic as the movie is. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. From the very first moment that you said Highlander, I've had uh, Who Wants to Live Forever going around inside my head. Oh, yeah. Well, last, this last few minutes. Yeah, this movie is best viewed away from any sequels and series that followed it. Mm-hmm. You know, everything about this movie was solid. The characters were incredibly realized. And although the movie was a box office flop at the time, like Blade Runner a few years before it, this movie goes beyond cult fandom. And I've, I still see new things in it every time I watch it that I never realized before. I never realized there's a scene where um, McLeod and Brenda uh, at the at this park in the zoo. And there's a scene that I never realised that the Kurgan is watching from the shadows behind them. Hmm. It's like, how have I never spotted this in all the times that I've watched it? So it still surprises me to this day. And kudos to uh, my friend Russell. We, are, we talk about Highlander all the time. This movie, I was really shocked to find out, was not certified fresh. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to admit, it has been quite a number of years since I've, I've seen it. Probably about the last... Probably not seen it in about the last 15 years. But I do remember really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, it it is one of those movies which is better taken away from the sequels and the TV series. And I think it's it's kind of like a lot of a lot of horror films in that way, that the more that you have, the more it kind of gets diluted and it stops having the impact. Yes. You know, it's, it, it's just the personification of the 80s cult movies mm. and i think the 80s probably have more cult films than any other decade and highlander is right up there i listened to it for the first time ever with earplugs in and the sound is incredible in this movie absolutely incredible uh so yeah that's my uh nominate five for the week or should that be nominate fifth nominate fifth Nom- nominate nominate f- revenge five? of the fifth yes we're struggling now, aren't we? We are. Because we both it, know what's coming next and we're desperately trying to work out what kind, what can we use as a segue. Well, first we've got to talk about who we have coming up on the show over this month. Hit it, Andy, and I'll put some uh, non-copyright music underneath it. Here we go. Okay. That's not a bad tune. Sounds almost like silence. So, 
I haven't this got was... the tune here. I'll find it in a bit. Okay. This was not put in in post at all. No. How do I know that you've not got some really stupid music underneath? I'll, I'll just I've got trust a porn you. soundtrack or something. <laughs> That'd actually be an improvement, probably. Okay, let's talk about our upcoming guests. Next week, we have Jay Oliva, one of the most celebrated animation directors currently out there at the moment. He is the brains behind the new animation studio Lex and Otis which is releasing its first animated series on Netflix. It might actually be out by the time you hear this podcast, but you can go on Netflix and find it. It's called Trez. It is the first Filipino animated series. And I've been lucky enough to see some previews of it. I went to Lexanotis and caught up with Jay when they were working on it. It looks amazing. It looks scary as hell. I cannot wait to see it. And he's going to be here next week. He's worked with Zack Snyder on everything from Dawn of the Dead right the way through to the Snyderverse, including Zack Snyder's Justice League. He storyboarded these entire movies, and he has animated some of the best DC animated movies out there from The Dark Knight Returns, Mm -hmm. Justice League Dark, The Flashpoint Paradox. Assault on Arkham. Assault on Arkham, which is genius. It's probably the best Suicide Squad movie out there at the moment, until this next one gets released which, you know, we, we keep our fingers crossed for. The week after that, we are continuing our comic theme as it is the 10-year anniversary of Green Lantern. Yay? Yeah, yay. You know, th- this is one of the most polarizing movies ever between people who hate it and people who haven't seen it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what could we do? But we pull in the former... Warner Brothers Senior Vice President Bill Daly is also a producer on a movie of mine who has the greatest stories about Warner Brothers from the decades of 1990s all the way through to the 2010s. And we and ask him why? What happened? And, and you know, he's, he's very positive. He'll tell us the truth behind Green Lantern and, you know, everything about its planning, its development, its release. You know, we will hear, hopefully, stories we've never heard before. Were you just like looking if you had actually seen Green Lantern? <laughs> no, I have actually seen Green Lantern. Yeah, I, I, the only thing that I can remember that was halfway decent about it was the fact they had Taika Waititi in it. That was it. Oh right, okay. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. But so anyway. has many people, to be honest. Yes, so so has many people. And then the week after that, we have a Hollywood actress joining us in Elizabeth J. Carlisle. Ooh. Yes, we know Elizabeth very well. I've I've worked with her just recently. Uh, some of you may know her as the character of Ruth Abernathy. I actually got that name up. Ruth Abernathy from uh, The Rich and the Ruthless, which is showing, um, I can't remember the network that it is on in the States. I don't think we can see it over here, but I've seen clips of it and she is hilarious in it. But she has also been in Bosch. She has been in House MD. Uh, she has been in, um, what was the series with David Spade in it? I can't remember. Uh, wait, was that the one that also had Patrick Warburton in it? It possibly did. I um, and she's also remember. in The Rookie. Her turn in The Rookie is one of my favourite comedic moments of all time in a serious series. And she's going to be joining us. We're really excited to have her here. She's absolutely wonderful. Good. Jesus Christ. Wait, <laughs> will you? This is unbelievable. You fall asleep before the end of the bloody show. I'm just doing whatever I can just to make your life that little bit more interesting. Uh, you failed at that on the day I met you. Hey! 
Oh, such pain to the heart. <laughs> I know. That one was signed, sealed, and delivered to you. And speaking of signed, sealed, and delivered, we've got to ask, what's in that box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well done, oh. mate. I didn't think we'd get there. Oh, we, we, you were so on point ready to press that button for that Oh, tune. God, yes. Make <laughs> the pain stop. <laughs> well, you say that a bit early, but we don't know yet. No, this is true. This is true. So this is the part of the show called What's in the Box? And how does it work? Quite simple. Now, earlier on today, we've been talking about films which are not certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but should be. What's in the Box takes movies that are certified fresh, and he puts them all into a box, picks one out, and if I haven't seen it, then I have to go and watch it the night before we record the next episode. If we have seen it, then that just gets put to one side until we find one that I haven't seen. So, Andy! Yes? What is in the box? Well, luckily while you were droning on about the rules of what's in the box... I decided to rummage through it to make sure I got the perfect pick. Now, I know that you were looking for a comedy this week. Yes. And disappointingly, you got one. So, this is where we find out now if you've seen it or not. Okay. I doubt you have, because it is quite an obscure film. Uh, And it was directed by Jeffrey Blitz, and it is a movie called Rocket Science which is a comedy about a stuttering boy who joins his high school debate team. And it stars Anna Kendrick. And Reese Thompson plays uh, the boy in it. And it's actually a really good film. I have seen this. Rocket Science. Rocket Science. I can honestly say that I have never even heard of that one. It is very indie. It's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, so I think you'd enjoy it. Right, okay. It's it's that kind of independent high school uh, movie type. Okay, so we've got we've got uh, stuttering debate team. Yes. Yay! That sounds like a recipe for crazy kookiness. <laughs> well, there's there's no uh, graphic rape scenes in that. I think you're going to be okay. If oh, there is, then God. you've seen the extended version. Oh God, I just I just want a movie where she doesn't feature extended uh, graphic rape scenes. Well, I, I think you're pretty safe with this. Yes, hopefully. Right, so that is my uh, my homework, if you like, for next week before we uh, we record the next episode. Uh, well, that has been that has been us this week, then, really, hasn't it? Yeah, actually, this was actually pretty fun. Let's never have any guests on ever again and completely kill our chances of having any fun. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, for another week, we say thank you for joining us. All of the links are out there. So, in case you want to read up more about Pottywood or if you want to get in contact with us or if you want to just generally get involved in the process then you can reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash Pottywood you can find us on twitter at Pottywood you can join us on the r slash Pottywood subreddit on reddit and also if you're feeling particularly generous you can go over and be a sponsor on our patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pottywood have I said Pottywood enough now I think so. What's the name of the show again? Poddywood? Yeah. 
Yeah, you, okay. you needed you needed to be equal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In that case, when yeah, I think that was about even. Yeah. It, it doesn't even really matter. It, let's just, I I don't care anymore. Let's just let's just shut up the shop and get the f- out of here. Yeah. Right. So with that in mind, it is a good night for me. And I've already left. Bye. <laughs> Moist. <laughs> what? Sorry, I was I was trying to say moist at the end because I know that would drive Kate absolutely nuts. <laughs> Did you want me to leave it in? Yes. We'll need, <sighs> we'll need to leave in this bit as well so that the people know why the hell it happened. Okay. Can we? If I just say a word, can you kind of like paste it over it? Yeah. Okay. Moist.